0: Well, good morning. It's always good to be with you. I want to begin by stating this truth. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves every single one of us. But Jesus doesn't love the way our world works. That if Jesus had his way, the last would be first and the first would be last. If if Jesus had his way... All of those with great wealth would freely choose to share with all of those in great need. If Jesus had his way, those with, with great amounts of social influence would intentionally, faithfully, be using that influence to help people without any. Those with power would would find a way to help give, a, give, give some idea of power and experience of power to those who are powerless. If Jesus had his way... In other words, our world really would be turned upside down. And what that means is that the gospel that Jesus is preaching throughout the book of Luke is a gospel that that while obviously it's really good news, it's also really challenging news because as much as this social revolution of love would be a profound blessing, especially to those in our world that, that Jesus calls the least of these. While, while that social revolution of love would be a profound blessing, it would still be a social revolution, which means that it would be unsettling, that it would be at times incredibly intimidating for us to think about not, not only all that Jesus wants to change in our world and the ways of our world, but, but also the challenge of, of what is Jesus asking us to change? And not just what is Jesus asking us to change out in the world, but what is Jesus asking us to change about ourselves so that we can be a larger part of what Jesus is trying to do. It would take courage as well as confession. It would take a kind of fearlessness in addition to our faith. And what that means, at least as I think of my own life, my own spiritual journey, with as much as I would like to say I've, I've grown up along the way of that journey, that I'm maturing along the way of that, in that, that discovery, I would also have to say I have a long way to go. One of the words that keeps showing up in Jesus' teaching as he talks about all that he wants to change is this idea of kingdom. Kingdom. And when Jesus talks about the idea of of kingdom in his ministry, he's talking about all the places in our world where God's gracious presence is most powerfully felt and experienced. When Jesus says kingdom, he's describing the spaces in our world where God shows up and starts to make things right. When when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, it's obvious that, that while the kingdom is heaven, it's It's more than heaven because we don't have to wait until we die to start experiencing it. And and the kingdom is the church, but it's bigger than the church because as far as Jesus is concerned, God often uses people on the outside of our faith in order to bring about some of those world-healing, world-changing things that Jesus is trying to bring about, even when they don't realize that God is the one they're serving, that the kingdom for Jesus is any place ...in our world where everything is becoming more and more the way God has always wanted the world to be. You may have heard at one time or another in your life... ...that that God is speaking the world into existence. He gets to a place where he looks at everything he has created there at the beginning... ...and he says, it's very, very good. Anytime God looks at our world and he sees places that are very, very good... That's where the kingdom is breaking in. The kingdom then is new creation. It's, it's a way for God to start over in our lives and in our world where, where you and I get this opportunity to, to live brand new lives. Around other brand new people. Bringing about a brand new way for us to, to experience what it is that God calls full and true life. Now, admittedly, this concept of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, it's, it can be abstract at times. It can be a little unwieldy for us as we think about it, just from an intellectual standpoint. And so Jesus is, is not just talking about this every once in a while in his ministry. He's talking about it over and over again. And he doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just define it. But he tries to give his followers images of what he means, ways to help them imagine what it is he's trying to help them see in their souls as they think about what it means to be people who belong to his upside-down kingdom. If you've got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 13. We'll start reading together in verse 18. Luke 13, starting in verse 18. Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its, in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30, 30 kilograms of, of flour uh, and, and worked it all the way through the dough right? This huge amount of flour, this little bit of yeast. And he keeps going on and on as he talks about in various times in his ministry, he uses these kinds of images. And he often asks this question because he wants people to understand as they try to dream and hope about their future place in the kingdom, what is the kingdom of God like? Well, when it comes to parables, I'm sure you've experienced this in as you've listened to sermons or you've been in Bible classes, but we're always at a bit bit of a a disadvantage when it comes to easily understanding Jesus' parables, usually because the the raw ingredients that Jesus likes to reach for when he's talking about parables or or telling stories that we call parables, he likes to use things that everybody in his world understood without having to, to really work at it much. All right, so he talks about things that were everyday experiences for people in ancient Israel. They didn't need him to explain what it was like for somebody to, to plant a mustard seed. Right? Everybody in his audience would have probably, at the very least, they've seen mustard seeds, and they would have known that a mustard seed's is usually about the size of a coarse grain of salt. It's incredibly small. Most of the people in his audience would have would have probably held countless mustard seeds in the, in the palm of their hand before. They would have remembered what, what that felt like. And they, they were surrounded by fields where people were trying to, to grow things just like mustard plants, right? And, and with, with yeast, I mean, they, they knew... They'd seen it, they'd witnessed it, that you, you take these large batches of dough, how, however much you were, were going to work, and you need just a little bit of yeast, and, and you work it through the dough. And, and they may not have understood how it worked, but they'd all witnessed, this, witnessed the fact that it did work. They'd seen it. They'd experienced it. Um, and so he, he's reaching for things that for them, they, they don't have to think about much, um, he, he doesn't have to go through definitions of it. And the reason that I think that's important for us to recognize at the, at the very outset of just considering these two stories he tells is, you know, if, if you had to have somebody explain to you scientifically what causes a sunset to look beautiful, that's not the same thing as getting to experience a sunset for yourself. Right? It, it's just not. It, if somebody was going to use mathematical data to describe to you the, the geological process it took for the, the Grand Canyon to be carved out of solid rock, right? if they gave you all of the, the different data and graphs, and all, that, that doesn't compare to being able to stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and look at, at what it's like to be there in person. And and the difficulty when it comes uh, to, to trying to understand simple stories that Jesus is trying to tell, that in the original context, people would have just automatically understood it without it being explained, is we get caught up in all the explanations, right? And we start to think, well, exactly what, what is it like to, to hold a mustard seed, and what, what is it like to see a mustard plant, and to, to realize, you just know, that on average they grow to 12 feet tall, and it, Jesus doesn't want us to get caught up in analyzing the raw ingredients of these simple stories he's trying to tell. He wants us to have a kind of experience, this is always true when he tells parables, he wants us to have a simple kind of experience that changes our perspective, that helps us see something that we already know is true. But he's going to help us see that truth in a way that maybe we've never seen it before. Because he's going to take something that's really familiar and then he's going to apply it in a way that's unfamiliar. And he hopes that that opens the eyes of our hearts up in a way that we never could achieve on our own. So here's, here's the thing. You and I don't need the parables of the mustard seed of the yeast to be diagrammed and defined for us to know that there are times in life... When something undoubtedly small ends up making a difference that is undeniably big. Right? We know this. And we could talk through the ways that we have experienced that before. Right? Take calories, for instance. Enough of those tiny little invisible guys. Like, say, connected to a Shipley's donut or a dozen. Right? And those eventually catch up to you. Uh. Think about a handful of rogue cells that might start to develop in your body, and eventually they start to make you sick, and you go to the doctor, and you find out that you've got cancer, right? And it's not just things that go on in our body that might scare us. It's also miraculous things that go on in our bodies. I mean, all of us at one time or another have seen those grainy sonogram images that that show us just how tiny human life is at the very beginning, right? It's, it's microscopically small. Think about in your, your own family budget, the kinds of differences that start to add up if everything that you have to buy starts to go up, even by just a few cents. But there's a reason that we talk about Gas prices going up, just, just a few cents. Well, if they keep doing that day after day, week after week, if milk starts to go up, if, if all of the things we have to buy just go up just a little bit, we start to realize that things could, could get to the place where we can't really afford life anymore. What about, how much does one minute matter in the course of a day? Well, what if that one minute means that you're one minute late to a job interview and you've been looking for a job for six months. Right? Suddenly that one minute is suddenly a lot bigger than it would otherwise be. I've had days in my life when my entire outlook is changed in a moment because of an interaction with with a stranger. And yet that person offers me a warm smile or, or they tell me, something that that 's going on in their lives that they want to share with me or they ask me questions and and that just that thirty second encounter with somebody that maybe i, I don 't know at all can change the way i 'm feeling about the goodness of the world and about the community in which I live. Think about all the power that can be channeled through a single pin and a little bit of paper. an encouraging note, a letter of reconciliation a Declaration of Independence, and and then there's all of the times in our lives where we get to encounter modern techno- technological advances that that prove to us time and again just how much can be achieved in a very small space. I mean, every single day, I check email, and I catch up on the news, and I... Read your, your social media posts all on a slender device that fits in one hand. I remember what my first computer looked like. You know, it was like the size of a Honda Civic, it felt like. And now, everything, the whole world is at your fingertips. There are large, complex social changes that start small, too, in history, right? Think about that moment when Rosa Parks refused to get up simply because of the color of her skin on that bus. And all of the the various things that go into that moment where it becomes this, this time that we talk about all these years later where the civil rights movement in our nation went from just being things that people were talking about and dreaming about to something that was actually beginning to happen in measurable ways that were undeniable. Gandhi comes across some writings of a Russian author named Tolstoy, who happened to be a Christian, who talked about the importance of trying to make changes in the world without violence. And and Gandhi starts to dream about what that's going to look like, and he's able to overthrow generations of oppressive situations in his own nation, all of it, through peaceful protests. What, What about... Mother Teresa, who decides that she's going to go and, and take care of the poorest of the poor in the streets of Calcutta. And, and when she was interviewed countless times over, you know, what is it? What's your approach to life that helps you change everything? She said, I, I don't do any big things. I do small things with great love. Right? We know from experience that there are times in our lives and in our world where things start out small and, and maybe slow, but then over time, speed starts to pick up and, and things start to multiply and suddenly the whole world is changed. I mean, there's a, there's a best-selling book about this by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. It's called The Tipping Point, and he tells story after story where this is exactly what happens in life. Mathematicians have this concept called the butterfly effect where they've tried before to figure out what kind of physical impact one beat of a butterfly's wing could make on a hurricane that develops on the the other side of the world weeks later. We have experienced and we know that other people experience this reality that things can start out small and in the end they, they end up changing everything the impact that they're able to make is simply massive. At times, the impact is more than we could possibly ever measure on our own. We know this, and yet for some reason, brothers and sisters, at least I'll confess to you for myself, I know this, but I have a really hard time believing that this is how the kingdom of God works its way into our world. In... In our more honest moments, I think most of us would admit that we would always prefer for God to move through our world in flashy, unignorable ways. You know, I I think most of us would find it preferable for God to go ahead and rearrange the stars every evening to spell out, I'm here. Or reconfigure the clouds during the day to paint his face. In a way that was so clear nobody could deny it. I mean, you look at how Christians talk about or think about themselves on a national or a global level, and we tend to keep score. We tend to talk about churches that are mega churches. We tend to like to have a sense of enough social influence to be able to call the shots in the culture around us. We like it when famous Christians appear on the front pages of important magazines and on popular TV shows to be interviewed. We, we want the congregation we go to, for the most part, right, to feel like a, a winning church, a church that's got momentum, a church that's on the rise, given the choice... I think most of us have to confess that we would choose success over substance, fame over faithfulness, and immediate impact over patient transformation. Because let's face it, we aren't nearly as interested in mustard seeds as we are in epic experiences. And yeast, yeast sounds pretty boring compared to the, the growth that steroids can provide. But Jesus refuses all of that. He refuses to give in to our attraction, and at times, I think we'd have to say our addiction to all things flashy and spectacular. Jesus is suspicious of anything that starts out fast and big. And he warns us that after a little while of burning brightly, those things almost always burn out. And and I think what makes this all the more difficult for us is that while Jesus asks us to be a part of his kingdom, he never actually asks us to run it. He never really invites us to second guess his patient, unassuming, long distance approach. Instead, he invites us to trust that he always knows better than we do. And then in case we don't quite get it, he uses these two little stories to point out that not only is this how the kingdom works, how it grows, but that in case we're wondering, we're not able to cause that growth. We're not able to make it happen. No matter how bad we want to make it happen, we don't have that kind of power. So he talks about a gardener who can go get some mustard seed and and he can prepare the soil and he can bury the seed and he he can water the seed. But in the end, he cannot make it grow into the plant that he's hoping it will become. And this woman, right, she takes the yeast and she mixes it into all of this dough. And the reality is she can get all of the conditions as perfect as she knows how. She can put it in all of the right place and have the right amount of time. And but in the end, she has to wait for something that feels like an organic miracle to happen. The outcome is ultimately out of her hands. As you might imagine, uh, this is challenging when it comes to what does it mean for us to be a part of what God is doing if God's inviting us into it, but he's not asking us to, to take charge. He's not asking us to take over. You know, I have, for for the better part of 15 years now, I have been in some form of of Christian leadership at a handful of different churches. And it's really difficult when you find yourself in a leadership position at a church not to get caught up in this idea that somehow, some way, we've got to crack the code. We've got to figure out how to create the outcomes that we desperately want to see happen. And you get into meetings, and if you all... Uh, came to our our leadership meetings and our staff meetings you 'd find us talking about various kinds of concerns and and you 'd find that we're we're trying our best to figure out how to how to help this become the church community that we believe god is is calling for all of us right to be and do as a family of faith. But it is really easy to find in those kinds of meetings that we 're asking all kinds of different questions. And they're not all of equal importance. And, and if I had to tell you my favorite question that I, that I ever wrestle with as a church leader, both here and at other churches I've been a part of, the key question that I find myself needing to wrestle with is, the question I have to keep coming back to is, where have I seen God at work most recently? Where have I seen God at work most recently? Now, see, that's different than the kinds of questions I feel the pressure to ask, because one way or another, the the kinds of questions I feel pushed to ask or wrestle with go along the lines of, look, what what could we do to make our church more high-profile? What what could we do to make our church more immediately popular? And, And look, there's no question that that those of us in leadership at this church and in leadership in any church wrestle with, with the sense that no matter what we're doing now, we we can and we should always be doing more. And so you end up wrestling with this, this whole sense of of, okay, we got to brainstorm, and we've got to think, and we've got to develop a a better congregational strategy. We've got to take a better outreach approach. We've got to craft a better visitor experience. And, And then you talk a lot about that, and you pray a lot about it, and you hope that God somehow, through the Holy Spirit, downloads that into somebody's mind, and they can share it with the rest of us. And if we aren't really, really careful... That's all we'll ever end up talking about in church leadership meetings. Does somebody have a better idea of how we could get the outcomes we want but we don't have? It takes sheer force of will for us to push aside those kinds of anxiety-filled questions about us to instead come back to a better question that's not about us, it's about God. Where have we seen God at work most recently? Now, this is not just an important question for church leaders to be asking. This is an important question for church members to be asking. This is an important question for all Christian disciples to be asking. And, and let me tell you what happens when you start to ask this question as part of a spiritual discipline. The first time, it doesn't matter if you're in a meeting or if you're in a small group or if you're at a a meal with some friends that happen to share your faith. When you ask this question the first time, you get some amazing stories. Because if it's the first time you've asked it, most recently could be in the last decade. Right? You ask it for the first time, where have you seen God at work most recently? Somebody says, I've never told this story to this group of people. I'm going to tell you. And you start getting these amazing stories amazing stories of of god you know healing someone's cancer answering someone's desperate prayers for financial help helping someone land a new job they've been looking for for what felt like forever a chance conversation that somebody had with a coworker that they they didn't really anticipate this happening but they started talking before they they knew it they were helping lead that person to Christ you you talk about Moments of baptisms that take place not just at camps or on mission trips as amazing as those can be but but also on Tuesday afternoons that nobody knew that, that somebody was about to make the decision to follow Christ for the rest of their lives. Someone bringing groceries to a family that was just about to run out of food and they got it just in the nick of time. Someone else being there in a hospital room for somebody else at the very moment of their passing from this earth to the next. You go around the room and story after story, you go around the table story after story like that of people choosing the most memorable times in their life that they can remember when God showed up and did something amazing. And I'm going to tell you, it's a great way to spend a meal or a meeting or a conversation to share these kinds of stories But here's where things change, is if you don't only ask this question once, but you start to ask it often, and you you commit to somebody else that you're going to share these stories with one another. You do that, and what starts to happen is, if you know that you're going to go to lunch with that person, or you're going to see that person, or you're going to be at a meeting with that person, and you know they're going to ask you this question, you start looking for stories, and if you already used your best one, you got to find a new one. And here's what i found in my life. I have a really hard time failing to do my homework assignments. Right? And so if I know that I'm going to be with you and you're going to ask me this question, then I'm going to need to find something truthful that's happened, which means I start to look. And here's what i found in my life, brothers and sisters. We miss so much of what God is doing because it's too small and it's too slow and we're in too much of a hurry and we're too distracted but if we start to have an expectation that God is at work and we start to look for it we see it every single time we see it every every direction we look Every single day of your life God is at work. When you say most recently, it shouldn't be in the last 10 years. God is at work. But we're we're so wired to look for epic and huge and, and all these that stop traffic in the street. And the reality is if that's all we're waiting for, if that's all the apostle Paul was waiting for, he would have said there was only time one time in his whole life he encountered Jesus, and it was on that one road on the way to Damascus, and that was it. And there's no possible way that's how Paul viewed his relationship with Jesus. That was an amazing experience, but the rest of his life was filled with amazing experiences that he had to have faith to see. But he could see it. So I'm telling you, if you start to ask this question, the first thing you realize is there's all kinds of stories in your life that you're not experiencing because you're not seeing it. The second thing that happens is you eventually start to realize that it's about more than just getting to tell stories of where God is at work. You start to realize you want to be a part of what God is doing When you start to see where God is moving in our community or in the lives of of, of the people you know and care about, you're going to find a longing, a hunger to be a part of it. And you're going to realize that, again, if you're waiting to do something epic, if you're waiting to do something that's huge and honestly maybe more than a little intimidating, that you're going to come up with all kinds of excuses why God doesn't need you to do it. Maybe God's calling somebody else to do it. I'm telling you there's more than enough opportunity every single day for you and I to say yes to what God is doing. We have to see it. And then we have to be willing to serve in whatever ways are presented to us, whatever moment is opened up to us that, that we feel like, look, I'm present, I see it, I can understand what God's trying to do in this person's life, and I want to be a part of it. And so instead of some huge thing, maybe it's that you have for a long time, you've known that you need to ask somebody to go to coffee so that you can reconnect and talk. Maybe it's that you've got to make the decision that you're going to give that relationship that's difficult and complicated, one more try. right? Maybe it's that you're going to sit down and you're going to send an email or write a text or, or write a card to somebody who you know has been going through a lot and they just need a little bit of encouragement to keep going. Maybe it's going to be that instead of demanding something from a person who's already stressed out and feeling like they're overwhelmed and underwater. You just find something small that you can do for them to help alleviate the pressure just a little bit. Right? Here's what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters. It's in those little small things that we do in Jesus' name for one another that the kingdom breaks into our world. Mustard seeds, a little bit of yeast, Stuff that we think just automatically has to happen and, and we don't realize that every single time somebody finds the ability to keep going, every time somebody finds the strength to do the right thing when it's difficult, every time that we get to be a part of that, God's kingdom comes in brand new ways, in brand new lives, and that we get to be a part of it if we'll ask God to help us see it and if we'll ask God to help us have the strength to be a part of what we're witnessing, of what we're seeing. Look, I don't know who it is for you. I I don't know what's going on in your everyday life. I don't know the kinds of pressure you face. I don't know the kinds of of distractions you might have to, to fight through. But I want to remind you this morning that we get caught We get caught up in noise and numbers and outcomes. And we think it's the big, flashy, epic experiences that tell us when God is showing up. And if that's all we're looking for, if that's all we're waiting for, we're going to miss so much of what God is doing. And we're going to fail to be a part of it. So I pray for us that as we go into this week that we find a way to see it and to do it because that's how the kingdom comes. We're gonna sing together now and as we do, our our shepherds and their wives will be out in our lobby to pray with you, to be community for you. Uh, If you came this morning with any concerns at all that our church community could help you with, please go to them in the lobby as together we stand and sing.